all the major players in this conflict are staunch defenders of capitalism, are united in their anti-communism, and only pay lip service to democracy, peace, and the interests of the people. As revolutionary Marxists, we are not obliged to take sides. We only take one side, the side of the working class. This war is clearly not in the interests of the workers of Ukraine or Russia or anywhere else. Quite the contrary. So although we stand in absolute solidarity with the ordinary people of Ukraine, we do so on a class basis. That America will never be a socialist country. 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 Attitudes are changing towards socialism. We believe the only solution is the establishment of a workers' government on a socialist program. Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of the Socialist Revolution podcast. My name is John Peterson, I'm the editor-in-chief of Socialist Revolution magazine. You can visit our website at www.socialistrevolution.org. Every episode we feature contributions and discussions on current events, history, and theory from a Marxist class struggle perspective featuring revolutionary socialists from around the country and around the world. The last few days have been dramatic, to say the least, with an all-out invasion of Ukraine by the Russian military ordered by Vladimir Putin. Horrific scenes of human misery and death have been splashed across our screens as the war is literally live-streamed across social media by tens of thousands of people in the war zone itself. If you want to understand what is happening in Ukraine today, and just as important to the history of Russia and Ukraine over the last century, all of which led up to the situation we're in today, you really need to read through the treasure trove of articles at the Indefensive Marxism website at Marxist.com. But I'd like to make a few points in relation to what's going on for the benefit of the listeners of this podcast. There have been plenty of quote-unquote unprecedented events in the last few years, from the economic collapse of 2008, the Egyptian Revolution, the Arab Spring and Occupy Movement, the 2016 elections, the 2020 economic collapse and the coronavirus pandemic, and of course, the historic George Floyd uprising. But in my view, the war in Ukraine ranks right up there as another decisive before and after turning point in modern history. It's yet another example of the kinds of earthquakes that can and will be unleashed by the buildup of tensions along the many fault lines in the tectonic plates of world capitalism and imperialism. So we need to concentrate our minds on the enormity of this event when it comes to world relations and the class struggle, not least of all in Russia itself. Let's not forget that war has long been the handmaiden of revolution. Now, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, the U.S. promised that NATO would not expand one inch toward the east. Since then, the imperialist military alliance has absorbed 14 countries from the former Eastern Bloc, growing from 16 to 30 members. As for its military spending, that has increased from $481 billion to $1.92 trillion, totaling 63% of global military spending. 
Putin's aim has always been to push back against the arrogance and physical encroachment of U.S. imperialism and its NATO allies by any means necessary. He wanted to punch the big bully on the block's nose and assert his dominance over his own little fiefdom. He clearly also wanted to distract attention from the growing problems, opposition, and rising class struggle at home. But it's a huge gamble by Putin and the Russian oligarchy. The long-term, medium-term, and even short-term outcomes and repercussions cannot be predicted with any precision, and not only in that part of the world. A Pandora's box has been opened, and all bets are off when it comes to the carefully calibrated yet uneasy equilibrium in places like Africa, the Indian subcontinent, Taiwan, and beyond. As we often say, war is the most complex of all equations. And this is not a major war in the sense that it's not World War III. It's not a direct clash between the militaries of major imperialist powers. But this is different from Russia's invasion of Georgia, its annexation of Crimea, or the terrible events in Syria, as significant as Russia's intervention there was. This is a war aimed directly at the heart of NATO, with modern industrialized cities and their populations being savaged by the most advanced weaponry on the planet. It represents a major recalibration of the post-war balance of power, and above all, of the balance of power that prevailed after the collapse of the Soviet Union. The collapse of the Warsaw Pact and the implosion of the USSR left Russia in a position a bit like Germany after the Treaty of Versailles, with the ruling oligarchy seething with anger, humiliation, resentment, and thirst for vengeance. Putin's model is the Tsarist Empire, which was the bulwark of reaction and counter-revolution across Europe for an entire historical period. So in many ways, it's a bit of a throwback to the pre-World War II or pre-World War I epoch of imperialist rivalries, war, and conquest. But it's not a mere repetition of the past. History proceeds in a spiral, not a circle. As the U.S. Civil War General William Tecumseh Sherman put it, war is hell. For committed liberal defenders of capitalism like Joe Biden and Barack Obama, this presents a conundrum. They may well be personally conflicted by the cynicism, the death, destruction, and so-called collateral damage that they cause, but they're nonetheless beholden to the system which has no morality other than profit and power. But people like Trump, Putin, and Xi Jinping fully embrace the cynicism, and like the ancient Romans, understand fully well that all serious questions are decided by ruthless force, not words, and that periods of peace are merely interludes of preparation for war. Much like Donald Trump, Putin is a gangster, and he's tossed aside the thin and hypocritical veneer of diplomatic niceties and the so-called norms of the post-war order. In response, the German imperialists are using the chain situation as an excuse to boost military spending and aid. As long as capitalism continues, the lines drawn on the map of the world are impermanent. Until the system is dead and buried, the imperialist powers will continue to jockey for position to gain at the expense of their rivals and neighbors. Above all, what's happening in Ukraine is a stark reminder of the sharp and sudden changes we will continue to see in this epoch of capitalist crisis, which coincides with the relative decline of U.S. imperialism. In the past, U.S. imperialism had hundreds of thousands of troops massed in Western Europe specifically to confront the Russian military. Just a few decades later, and they don't dare send any troops anywhere near the combat zone. I mean, if they couldn't get serious about sending troops to Syria or Libya, there was never a chance in hell that they would put significant boots on the ground in Ukraine to fight directly against Russia. 
Because while the U.S. undoubtedly remains the preeminent economic and military power on the world scale, it's no longer the most powerful in every region of the world. The harsh reality for the U.S. imperialists is that their dreams of a Pax Americana and the so-called project for a new American century lie in shambles. This explains their newly discovered humanitarianism, never mind what they did to Iraq, Afghanistan, the former Yugoslavia, Vietnam, the Dominican Republic, the Philippines, Mexico, and countless other countries and peoples over the last couple of centuries. Nonetheless, we must emphasize the relative nature of U.S. imperialism's decline. U.S. military spending remains higher than every other major imperialist power combined. The ferocious beast of American imperialism may be old and weakened, but it still has sharp teeth and claws. Remember, the collapse of Rome took place over centuries as the empire's economy, trade networks, and ability to project military force and impose loyal governors unraveled at different rhythms in different regions and even experienced brief periods of relative revival. But nature hates a vacuum, and something or someone will fill the space that weakened U.S. imperialism is leaving in its wake. Just look at the role of rising Chinese imperialism in all of this. We must never forget that history is a non-linear process and full of contradictions. The deep shifts in economic and social relations we have analyzed since the collapse of the Soviet Union give rise not only to inspiring mass movements and revolutions, but to reaction, war, and counter-revolution. And although an all-out war between Russia and Ukraine did not appear to be the most likely outcome, it always was a possibility. Nothing should surprise us in a world balanced on the edge of chaos. At the same time, though, just because this or that event flows from our core analysis doesn't mean we don't have a duty to examine the specific convergence of factors that caused it. And although it can sometimes seem as though one calamity follows another these days, we should never be complacent or blasé about these events. Nor should the clarity of analysis offered by the IMT when great events like this erupt be taken for granted. As always, the so-called left is in total disarray. It's yet another failed test for every political tendency who fall over themselves in support of one imperialist side or another, no matter what fancy language they use to conceal that fact. Like the confused and deluded Stalinists who cheerlead Putin and imagine that he is an anti-imperialist somehow reviving the USSR. And here's the key point. As revolutionary Marxists, we are not obliged to take sides. We only take one side, the side of the working class. We must always ask whether this or that event increases working class consciousness, confidence in unity, or not. This war is clearly not in the interests of the workers of Ukraine or Russia or anywhere else. Quite the contrary. Along with workers in uniform killing other workers in uniform as well as civilians, and the destruction of valuable and needed infrastructure, the poison of nationalism is once again on full display, both great Russian and Ukrainian. This is why understanding the national question remains extremely important, even at this late stage of the decay and decline of capitalism, a time when the objective conditions for building socialism are rotten ripe. The national question is a treacherous minefield that must be analyzed concretely on the basis of endlessly shifting objective and subjective factors. It's notable how Putin has twisted, falsified, and slandered Lenin and the early Soviet Union and the way the national question was approached by the young workers' state. It's equally notable that Biden has said that Putin is trying to reestablish the Soviet Union, the so-called evil empire. 
So there is total confusion on both sides, and it's not only an organic function of their class outlook, but a purposeful attempt to cloud the class question in the minds of the world's workers. All the major players in this conflict are staunch defenders of capitalism, are united in their anti-communism, and only pay lip service to democracy, peace, and the interests of the people. Now, Russia is an imperialist power, there is no question about that, but it's a regional imperialist power, not a world power. It's not on the same level as U.S. imperialism on a world scale. Nonetheless, it is an imperialist power, and Marxists give zero support to imperialism. And although Ukraine is not a major power in and of itself, it is being used as a pawn and a puppet by U.S. and Western European imperialism. So although we stand in absolute solidarity with the ordinary people of Ukraine, we do so on a class basis. We give not an iota of support to the rotten capitalist regime that rules over the Ukrainian working class. This is why, despite the constant barrage from the liberal media, we cannot simplistically adopt slogans like No War on Ukraine or Hands Off Ukraine. These are Biden and the liberals' slogans, and we can't appear to lend them any credence whatsoever. Wars are dynamic and contradictory events, and our positions can't always be summed up in a short and snappy slogan. The class interests involved are always absolutely fundamental to our analysis. Let me try to lay it out simply and clearly. It is not the task of world imperialism to topple Putin and Russian imperialism. That's the duty of the Russian working class, of the Russian Marxists, and the world proletarian revolution. Likewise, it's most definitely not the task of Putin and the Russian imperialists to take out Zelensky. It's the task of the Ukrainian working class, with its heroic revolutionary traditions, united with the other workers of the region, to deal with their ruling class and the Maidan regime. Now, if there had been a socialist revolution in Russia, and this was a revived Red Army invading Ukraine in international solidarity to help the Ukrainian workers overthrow their own rulers, we'd have a very different position. But that's not the case. As for those of us living in the belly of the beast, it is our duty to expose the hypocrisy of our imperialism and its allies. We are against U.S. imperialist intervention in any way, shape, or form. We don't call for or support sanctions, which are capitalist sanctions, of, by, and in the interests of the capitalists. Now, if the U.S. had a workers' government that had come to power on the basis of a socialist revolution, you'd better believe we would materially support all workers in struggle, wherever they were, by any means necessary, on a class basis, to speed the day of the world socialist revolution. That's our historic task and aim. But that's not the situation we're dealing with today. So while the United States may not be directly involved in terms of military operations and confrontation, these events will profoundly affect this country as it's an integral part of the world economy and world politics. Just take the question of inflation and energy prices as one example. Finally, I'd like to give a shout out to the comrades of the Russian section of the International Marxist Tendency. Their work is a living dialectical example of how all of us in the IMT have the same fundamental class position, but how we apply it differently according to the circumstances and situation faced in different parts of the world. It's impossible to know precisely what will happen. The war may end relatively quickly, perhaps in a total victory for Putin, and his position may be temporarily strengthened. Or it may end quickly in a stalemate, or drag on for some time, and all the problems Putin faces at home could drag him down along with this war. No matter what, Russia will be a greater pressure cooker than ever, a ticking time bomb of class struggle. As revolutionary Marxists, we are not pacifists. We are not against war and the use of force in the abstract. 
As Marx famously said, force is the midwife of every old society pregnant with the new one. But it all depends on who is using force and in whose interests. And that's why our slogan is, no war but the class war. We must keep following and analyzing these terrible and tragic events. But we must do so scientifically, not emotionally, despite the terrible human suffering we are witnessing. This is all part of the price humanity has to pay for not having built the revolutionary subjective factor and overthrown capitalism sometime over the last hundred years. It's a graphic example of what we mean when we say that the choice before us is socialism in our lifetime or barbarism. It should steal us in our commitment and dedication to fight and win against this system, which is truly horror without end for the vast majority of humanity. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Big thanks as always to Laura Brown, our audiovisual producer whose hard work behind the scenes makes these episodes possible. If you liked what you heard today, please share, subscribe, and give us a five-star rating, which will help other listeners find us. Or consider making a donation to the International Marxist Tendency or subscribing to Socialist Revolution magazine. Better yet, why not join the IMT and bring these ideas to your family, friends, neighbors, and co-workers? You can learn more about the IMT and about getting involved at socialistrevolution.org. Stay healthy and safe, and keep fighting the good fight, the fight for socialism in our lifetime. Oh, oh, oh.